listening to episode 323 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our examination of the BBC's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Is it Norrell or Norrell? That was yeah. something I was going to bring up. Well, well, you know, I noticed that you were pronouncing it Norrell. I kept saying yeah. Norrell. And as I'm watching episode two to prepare for the podcast, the characters pronounce it differently. Well, the one character so, who says Norrell is the, I can't remember the character's name. It's like, uh, there's two kind of like groupy type guys, the uh, heavier guy. Who's the more yeah. uh, fake? He's always said Norrell, and in fact, in the first episode, he like he's like Mister Norrell, like that. He really pronounces it, and you can see Norrell wincing because. And so when he, uh, when and, and the people who know him like say his name, they say Norrell, and then okay. um, the 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 really the pompous fake guy. Uh, says Norell and still is is pronouncing it that way. So it's kind of, I guess, like a, a commentary on his character there. Okay. I didn't want to be like, the, the English his... teacher, like correcting <laughs> you and everything you know, last week. So I just let it roll. Yeah, pedantry doesn't go on this podcast. Exactly. So <laughs> I try to avoid it. I really do. Uh, the people who know me don't believe it, but all I really right, do well. try to avoid it. All right. Well, speaking of pedantry, if you want to contact us with some episode feedback, questions, comments, whatever, the email address is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Uh, you can go to the website, leave us a voicemail if you want using the leave voicemail tab, record your own audio clip, send it to us as an attachment. Encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. All right. Now, my what we're watching this week is The Magicians, and I've made it to season four, which I think I mentioned last time, mm-hmm. and I'm having a hard time getting into it. And really? I know season Michael four? covers, yeah, you've seen season four, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I liked okay. it a lot. And I know Michael covers it for Den of Geeks. So, you know, I shot him a message uh, and he kind of agreed with me. He he thinks it's the weakest of the four, um, but yeah, I'm going to keep plugging away. It's just that um, I'm not in binge mode right now with uh, okay. the magicians. So now uh, we're uh, struggling to find something to watch together. Uh, we knocked off a couple of these uh, detective shows. One was called Bitter Daisies. I think I mentioned that last week. And dude, uh, anybody that claims they saw that ending coming is lying. Uh, we watched a, a four-episode series called Retribution. Same thing. You know, if you're into the crime procedural stuff, you know these are both foreign uh, retributions English. So you can actually understand them what they're saying that's what my wife and i always go uh you know is is that loud enough for you i'm like what does it matter they're speaking spanish right (laughs) uh, as long as the subtitles are loud enough i'm i'm good yes (laughs) so uh i think we're going to go with turn and i think you might have mentioned that you had seen that one time right the the revolutionary war oh yeah yeah yeah. washington spies so yeah give that a, a, a look tonight um I think it was just a victim of me purging all but essential uh, TV watching because I really did like Turn. 
it was yeah it was it was a really good show um i st- i think i just stopped watching because i was just like basically i'm just spending too much time watching tv and so i'm just you know i'm sticking to the shows that i've been watching for a long time and i truly love and all the others especially if they're like on netflix because it turns on netflix right yeah yeah so if it's on netflix I'll, i can go back and watch it you know in the future so um yeah I'd like now you don't have hbo show. right oh sure i do Oh, you do have HBO. Oh, Hells yeah. Okay, we're going to have to talk. Okay, we're going to have to talk because October yeah, 20th, I don't know if you saw. Yeah, Watchmen. okay. Yeah, well, we'll, of course, we'll talk off air about okay. All right. All right. Might have to squeeze that in somehow. All right, okay. so what are you I watching? Totally be down for that. You say, I'm in. All right, done. Okay, cool. Um, I am watching. So I'm going to do two things. I'm going to do my, my uh, what's the... Pick and pan, I guess. With those were things. Like the oh, one I like it. Good and yeah. one so, so the the pick would be uh, Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance. Now, I know you okay. and Michael watched like the first two episodes, right, or something. Yes. Okay. Um, it was okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So we're going to have to disagree a little bit on that one, Dave. Uh, but okay. probably a lot, and I understand this that. For me, when I was a kid and Dark Crystal, the movie came out, it was like my favorite movie. I would doodle gelflings in class and stuff, you know? Um, And I was just totally absorbed. And I couldn't watch it again because we didn't even have a VCR back then. So, like, you just went and saw a movie in the movie theater. It blew you away. It was this incredible experience. And then that was it, you know? Like until, uh, you know, much later, well, not much later, but a little later when, um, you know, VCRs came out and you could actually watch things over and over again. So I understand that there is a bit of romanticization that's going on with me in the Dark Crystal, but darn it, Dave, if I am just not absolutely fascinated by how the Henson Company creates these movies using puppets and everything, it's just... Amazing. Yeah, you know, obviously it's not 100% lifelike. You know, you get a feeling of this disconnect and everything. But I, I, I find myself suspending my disbelief and just getting wrapped up in it. I also understand the story's not necessarily the most original. It's a pretty standard fair quest story. I get it. Lots of cliches and things like that. But I just, I just, it's, I just think every shot and how they set it up, and I just sit there wondering how they did it and, and everything. It's just... I'm just amazed by it, so I really enjoy it. Well, visually, it's now, stunning. There's no question, and that's really the main thing I love about it, like how how visually amazing it is. You know, um, they get really good actors to do the voices though, too. Oh yeah, so. I, yeah. That's the thing. I'm sitting there watching. Oh, I recognize that voice. Who is it? And then I had to go uh-huh. to IMDb yeah, and look yeah. it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You definitely had to look it up. But uh, yeah, Taron Edgerton is like the main. Uh, the voice of the main character in it. Um, you haven't seen, have you seen the, uh, the something men? I can only think Watchmen. I can't get it out of my head. Oh no. You're you mean the Watchmen movie? No, 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 no. Taron Edgerton is, is, was in these two really, really good movies. The, the Kingsman, the Kingsman. I have not. Uh, <laughs> okay. They're, the, they're really good, but I, I'm, I'm done suggesting movies for you. Okay. So, um, but I'll put it out there. You should watch it. 
uh, but yeah, the Kingsman movies are great. He's he's a great actor. Uh, he played Elton John in that the Elton John biopic recently. So anyway, so I really liked Age of Resistance. What I do not like, but darn it, Dave, I don't know. This is being a bad relationship. I just don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Is the effing Walking Dead? Ah, oh, okay. I watched last night. Uh, I probably said this before. You have. I watched what I believe to be the absolute worst Walking Dead episode I've ever seen. I didn't enjoy one moment of it. At the end, I felt a little bit mad at myself for having sat there the whole time. Yeah, but and yet I continue to go back, Dave. I I yeah. know, I know, but it's like at some point you just got to say enough's enough, right? Yeah, no, I agree. But every time I, I start to think that, I just say, okay, I'll just watch one more. And they have like a really good episode that reminds me what I love about this show. And then they'll follow up with another dud and it has me questioning the whole relationship again. And it's just this up and down ride. And at some point, I just got to get off this roller coaster. But I can't do it, man. Uh, yeah, I hear you. It's just got a hold on me. Speaking of having a hold on you, why don't we move on to the topic of tonight? Because I don't. Think you're That's a have much terrible transition, by the way. I know. I know. <laughs> Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, Chapter 2, nice. How is Lady Pole, written by uh-huh. Peter Harness, who, as we said last time, wrote She's all not seven well. episodes. Directed by Toby Haynes. This one aired May 24th, 2015. Now, you know, you say she's not well, and, and of course, we understand what's going on with her is that he didn't take half her life in terms of longevity he took half the life out of her and yeah since she has no idea what's really wrong with her i i like how they're sort of exploring you know this idea of reason versus madness because that's how she's being perceived certainly by her husband Mr. Norrell, uh, we're not exactly sure. I mean, he knows it has to do with the deal he made with the gentleman, and, yes. and uh, he, he feels cheated in this deal. But I, I really do find it fascinating how they're you know, playing her character and you know, how that's going to go along, and not to mention the servant Stephen and yeah. what the hell's up with him. So I, I'm really liking that as well. But who is the gentleman? Is he a fairy? Uh, that seems to be you. You sort of implied that last week. Yeah, I'm. I'm getting. Well, I mean, that. I think we're pretty. Yeah, we're solid on that now, okay. right? Like he definitely okay. is. Okay. Yeah. And um, the Raven King that we hear about is referred to in connection with fairy magic, which of of course Mister Norrell uh, abhors. So. I'm and wondering. Okay, yeah, I'm wondering whether the gentleman turns out to be the Raven King, and and you you obviously might know from having read the book. But the other thing that comes up is this rift that is clearly growing between Norrell and Jonathan. Is it something to be concerned with? And, and I guess the answer is, oh, well, heck yeah, because he is so disingenuous, Norrell, that is. He's, on the one hand, yeah. happy that he has, in his eyes, a protege. But, the, you know, then we get that scene down on the beach when Jonathan just reaches his hands in the sand. And, dude, what a 
cool visual yeah. scene. I that think was, you remarked that was awesome. Right. You remarked last time about the special effects in this series. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. And yeah, that was that was spectacular. You know, and the fact that he says, I don't even know how I did it, really. It's just that he's a natural. And right. And that and it pisses Norrell off more because yeah. he got to where he was by years of studying and solitude and, and everything. And Jonathan could just do it and do it better. Yeah. And, you know, who, who should really be the teacher here? And I guess you could argue, on the one hand, it's, it's analogous to someone who is a natural musician that can play anything by ear, but will probably benefit from some actual musical training so that they can you know, expand their career, expand their horizons. And, mm-hmm. you know, Jonathan, at this point, I, I don't know if he realizes what it is he has does he even realize now i'm quoting a line from van helsing you know do you even know what you are and i'm not sure he does right i I think he does at a at some level but he's so like like you talk about normal being disingenuous well jonathan is ingenuous right he's just like innocent wide-eyed has trouble perceiving ulterior motives in others especially in norrell he's just a bit i guess he's a bit naive to all of this so i think he understands that he is really good at this stuff but he doesn't realize that the fact that it just comes naturally to him is ruffling norrell's feathers so much yeah like the the piece of magic he does at the command of uh you know the the hangers on of of Norrell and he sends that document into the mirror. But as he says, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know how to bring it back, but yeah. <laughs> Norrell seems amazed. And he's like, that's not even in, I don't know. He names the book of magic right. that uh, I guess we're supposed to know, but you know, that, that opening scene where we're at the port of Brest in Northern France, I guess that's supposed to be the English channel. And, the French military is initially stunned as this massive English fleet appears to be sailing straight for them, but something feels a bit off. And of course, when they get out there, they realize what's going on. Obviously, Norrell's fame has spread across the channel to France, so they figure what's going on here. And it got me to thinking, is this a mistake on Norrell's part. Did he really just do too much? You know, he, he made too many ships that it drew attention. Like he said, there's not enough. There's not that many ships in the English Navy. Hell, there's not that many ships in the world. <laughs> and, right. and, and that's really what leads to the failure of this blockade of his, because something doesn't seem right. They row out there and, you know, of course discover that they're, made out of rain, which in and of itself was a pretty cool concept, I suppose. Because there's yeah, never... well, rain. it is until the enemy realizes the ships are made of rain and just can get an umbrella and, you know, go through them, I guess. Yeah. Now, the old men, if you will, you know, the, the military leaders that, you know, want to see, well, what's this general doing? And, you know, he shows them in the... Uh, in the glass or in the uh, bowl and then the one though does make a a relatively astute 
comment that wouldn't it be better to have the magician in the field? And the answer is, well, yes, of course. But mm-hmm. at this point, really, we, we see Noro really starting to get worried that his power and influence might be compromised. You know, he wants to stop all street musicians, uh, street musicians, all street magicians, which then I can't help but think of hedge witches from the magicians. Sure. And, and, yeah, I, and yeah, I think absolutely. there is a reasonable connection there. Well, oh, yeah. Why? Why? Is their magic somehow invalid because, you know, they're not studied as you are? No, they're a threat. Yeah, well, and also he just, he he's like kind of obsessed with this idea of legitimizing magic. He feels that all these you know, all these street magicians and stuff are just, you know, sullying the the noble name of magic or something, you know. Well, you say that, and I know that's his his talking point, but then we look at what he's done bringing Emma back to life. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how noble that is. He's not an idiot. He has to understand, as we've talked about, bringing people back from the dead generally comes with uh, uh you know some consequences he is a, a tremendous hypocrite right and he there's at least i believe three times that i can recall in this episode where he says something derogatory about like fairy magic or people who employ fairies for magic and it's just like like all right granted dude you're a complete hypocrite but you should probably like you know, not bring it up so much, you know? Right. Um, I mean, he has to know that's who the stranger is. Of course he knows. Right. So, yeah, I mean, he, he purposefully summoned a fairy to, you know, pull off this great, you know, magic, feat of magic that gets him in where he wanted to be, right? In with the, the, the bigwigs in the government and everything and to, you know, popularize the name of his type of magic and of course, there's always a price to pay. You know, I think we're seeing more and more. Uh, he's starting to pay the price for his hubris. Yeah. Now, Segundus, it was good to see him still part of the narrative, and, and this was really a great scene when he and Jonathan meet, and, and they're at that abandoned house of Miss Absalom. But I'm still a little fuzzy on exactly what's going on here. Um, you know, Segundus finds himself in the dream, but does Jonathan go there to summon Miss Absalom? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. And he, he had he successfully. Well, I think just to because he's practicing his magic. Like he's he's expanding his chops, so to speak. Okay. You know, so you talked about like that musician who is a natural, but is like Hmm. You know, I wonder if I could play the ukulele, or you know, you get a twelve string and play guitar and try that. You know, like he's just seeing what he can do. Uh, Segundus blunders into it, and you know, incensing Jonathan. But uh, but yeah, it was like I said. I think it was really, for the most part, a nice way to a keep Secundus in the narrative, and b for us to find out what's going on because obviously some time has passed since the end of episode one. Because, you know, Jonathan's married now and and everything, so. Right. I don't think we have a number, but obviously several months at least have passed. 
Segundas, you know, he's certainly fascinated with magic. He he almost is like uh, an agent of sorts. I mean, he was the, certainly the one that wanted to promote Norrell and, and let people know what he has been capable of doing. But he also mentions Norrell shutting down the society. And mm-hmm. it, it really reeks of this dictator-like person these people aren't even trying to practice magic. What possible threat are they to you? But again, very Stalin-esque, just, you know, anybody that's even remotely a threat, let's get rid of them. So while yeah, he doesn't yeah. have them killed, he shuts down or or wants to shut down, you know, their society and, you know, whether that's Well, he did. Gonna- and you see Segundus, you see here's the, like, you know, the result, there's actually very human results here. He's like, yo, basically, those are my friends, and we don't meet anymore now, you know? Right. And, and then we learn what Segundus is even doing at Miss Absalon's house is that he wants to establish a school for magic. Of course, uh, we got break bills. We've got, well, what's that school in Harry Potter? I can't hey. remember which color. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Segunda suggests Jonathan contact Norrell, perhaps as an apprentice, and, and, and of course we we know that's what happens. But this whole wondering about the power of two magicians working together, and, and, and of course by the time we get through this episode, it's pretty clear that these two are probably going to be working against each other more often than working together, and that any connection they make to work together is probably with another purpose in mind you know because norrell's yeah well you you described as a rift and that that's a that's a great word to describe what we see because a rift starts off small and increases over time and we can just see even through the course of just this episode we see that what starts off just a little kind of separation between jonathan and mr norrell ends up to be pretty major as now Jonathan is heading for the continent with 40 of Mr. Norrell's books. <laughs> yeah. Can can you create an iron case for them or something to protect yeah. them? Uh, because he certainly doesn't have enough books left behind. But, you know, we're t- exactly. We were talking about Lady Pole at the beginning of the discussion and this inability that she seems to have to verbalize what's in her head it almost makes me think of of some of these debilitating diseases and conditions where the person's mind stephen hawking for instance with uh, als i mean the mind is fine yeah and of course here in 1815 or you know thereabouts she's perceived as going mad rather than right. something else now of course we know well, what the something else is but yeah, yeah. Well, the, the frustrating part for her is that it's when she tries to verbalize what's happening to her with the gentleman that all of a sudden she like so like the, that's part of the spell. Whenever she tries to tell people what's happening, that every night this fairy is robbing her of her sleep and making her dance. Well, she tries to say that, but it comes out as gibberish. Right. And so people think she's crazy when all she she's really completely sane and, and trying to find a way to express herself so people can help her. Right. And, and Sir Walter is at wit's end and, and calls on Norrell for help. 
And even though Norrell knows what's going on here, he tells him that magic cannot cure madness. No, dude, you can't cure it. Magic can. So I'm really waiting to see whether or not Jonathan gets involved and perhaps is able to, you know, do something to help Lady Pole, fully understanding that this is fairy magic, which is, by all accounts, pretty darn powerful perhaps the most powerful magic there is so maybe even jonathan right, well we also get a we get a sense that that jonathan might have that natural ability to best because you know the uh steven and the gentleman are in his room and they're talking about him and the gentleman's like well he can't hear us don't worry about it but he can right you know and you could see the gentleman is really freaked out by that because he realizes that there's something about jonathan that's not your run-of-the-mill mag- magician. Right. And you I guess you wonder, does the gentleman have reason to be worried? I, you know, I guess I wonder about that because, again, by all indications, the gentleman's far more powerful than Norrell and perhaps not as powerful as Jonathan, given what we saw on the beach, which you know, I, I wonder if, Maybe it's it, it's sort of missed how powerful that spell actually was. I mean, certainly in terms of scope, uh, we haven't seen anything to that level. But I mentioned Stephen, the servant, earlier, and he's one that I'm still really having a difficult time getting a handle on what's going on with him because it, it's almost like he's experiencing something as well as emma certainly not to that same extent so whether he had a spell placed on him i mean we see that scene where he goes through the door and he ends up out in the woods so mm-hmm. i'm not sure what the deal with that door is a magic door i don't know can maybe you can lend some insight yeah, I, to what's going on with I, him i i just i just think you 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 nailed it that he is under the the thrall, I guess, of the gentleman. But whereas we would maybe normally condemn someone who is willingly helping out this guy who he knows is a bad dude, a bad hombre. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, but I think he's doing it to try and help Lady Pole. I mean, he's really the only one there for her and looking out for her in, in small ways albeit but yet you know he's there to kind of look out for her but he's the same thing where he's being run ragged like they don't sleep the minute they close their eyes the gentleman takes them and here's the half-life right he like norrell thought the guy meant that you know lady pole would live to be about 40 years old and then she'd die then and you know but no he's taking her nights her sleep so she doesn't get any sleep. She's exhausted. Steven's exhausted. And they, they are completely unable to appeal to anyone else. Right. So, I mean, at first I thought, you know, for him, I'm like, oh, why is he helping him out? And then I kind of started thinking, oh, I think he's doing it because he's, you know, just trying to, you know, help out Lady Pole and be there for her. Yeah. Oh, and they do a wonderful job with her makeup to making her look like she is just exasperated from lack of sleep as you say but the gentleman 
even uses the word bargain sort of implying or more than implying that there's a bargain between himself and Stephen. And do we really know what that is? I mean, you know, we get that scene later where he says, you know, that you're going to be a king. What, what did I forget what he says? Uh, I have it in my notes somewhere. You're going to be a king. A nameless slave shall be a king in a strange land. And we see that image of him in the mirror and he's wearing a crown. So maybe the bargain had something to do with getting him out of his servant status. But but we don't really know, right? I want to make sure I didn't miss it. I, 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 I missed it as, as well. So I, I suspect either we both completely missed it or they just didn't really explain Okay. Um, what the bargain is that they that that he got himself into. Okay. Now, now the other thing that's happening to me from time to time as I watch these episodes is that I get confused as to whose house that we're in. And Arabella and Jonathan, I thought were visiting Norrell at his home. As it turns out, that's what happens. But you know, we get that scene where right before that they're in their own home and then all of a sudden they're there and uh we get that statement by uh i think it might even be by Childermass, who says mr norrell is the only magician in england jonathan mentions meeting vinculus under a hedge again mm-hmm. a hedge witch couldn't couldn't help myself there and and, and of mm-hmm. course that's that's where we get uh, norrell's demand that that strange perform some magic and you know we already talked a little bit about that but when norrell agrees to take strange on as a student is it, do you think just to keep an eye on him does he have any idea how good he really is at this point i think if, i mean you see his like genuine look of excitement when uh jonathan performs that trick so um i, I think at first it really is just this. Oh, there's, I'm not the only one. There's there's another actual magician out there somewhere. And then, of course, like the that that kind of that role as a mentor that he takes on, and he's proud of his student and the progress he makes. And then now that the student is starting to eclipse the master, his excitement is no longer as uh, as electric as it was before. Yeah, it wanes very quickly, but. The two guys, the two society guys, one's the, the fat guy, and they're like peering through the keyhole. And right. uh, uh, one of them says something must be done about this friendship. So what the heck are they up to? I, I don't think we really have any idea at this point, but it, it's almost as if they've put themselves behind Norrell so that they have to get rid of Strange or at least you know, discredit him so that Norrell remains the only magician in England. Other than that, I'm not really sure what they're trying to do at this point. I, I think that's probably it. Draw light and, and Lachelle's. Okay. Now, you know, I think my unsung hero character for this episode, though, is Arabella. And I love the scene, you know, Sir Walters come, comes to see Jonathan because there's a problem with the blockade and, and uh, they can't find Norrell to fix it. So 
he, he's going to have to handle it. And that, that thing about, uh, oh, why don't you come up uh, upstairs and have some seed cake? Oh, Arabella doesn't prefer seed cake. It's like, Arabella is not six. <laughs> and just establishing, you know, she has a mind of her own, and yep. she's not afraid to let him know in front of somebody that arguably is more important than he is at this point. So I, right. I just really love that that she stands up for herself and probably doesn't happen a lot at this time period. Uh, well, at, at least that's the, you know, uh, pretty much the, um, the the stereotype of, of the time period. But of course, it's, you know, a couple of decades still to go when we're going to get like, you know, um, Ada Lovelace and things like that. So we're, and, you know, the... Um, the, the the women's vote suffrage movement not too far in the future but at this time in england yeah like the the women definitely were a you know secondary uh, citizen now arabella wanders into that room full of paintings and, and she realizes that emma is lying on the couch and, and they start to talk again it's just so heartbreaking that she just has no idea what's wrong with her I mean, she probably would love if a doctor would tell her you have this disease or that disease at least would explain why she feels as she does. But I would be better dead than as I am. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty harsh. Right. Again, we understand that and and we understand the irony in in that. But she also warns Arabella about Norrell and his influence on Jonathan. Mr. Strange should know what kind of man he's dealing with. Now, she doesn't know that Norrell brought her back from the dead, or does she? Does she have some sort of a sense? I, I, right. I, I don't think she knows 100% what's happened, but I think she has a pretty good, as you said, sense of what happened. She knows enough that Norrell is somehow to blame for her condition. Um, and she also has the idea that Arabella and Jonathan can help her. And, and I would certainly think that's, that's the way we're going to head. At least I hope, I think that would be a great direction to take the story. You know, we, we get some backstory on the Raven King who was stolen away by fairies where he was raised and taught magic. What was that poem? God, I, you probably taught it at some point. I wish I could remember. And I can't remember the English poet that wrote it, but about some child that's stolen by the fairies in the middle of the night. Oh, well, yeah, that's uh, Yeats. Yeats. And uh, that Norrell, uh, of course, is against the Raven King and fairy magic, feels his duty, as you mentioned earlier, to, to raise respectable magic to such heights that fairy magic is forbidden. And, and uh, of course, we, <laughs> we, we know how disingenuous that is because of the fairy magic he used with Emma. So right. um, it, it, it's almost like how long before Emma puts two and two together and and speaks up and uh, you know whether Norrell realizes that he's already you know on uh, unsteady ground yeah, I don't know right I, I don't think at this point that Norrell thinks he's on unsteady ground but we can definitely see that he should be thinking that right and, and you know Arabella even reminds Jonathan remember that first spell that you cast uh, 
that showed what your enemy was doing and and she reminds him and i think we talked about this at the time that it appeared to be Norrell, and she's obviously warning him but he doesn't see Norrell as his enemy because at this point he's the innocent you know he he performs magic in this pure state at this point he hasn't been you know infected by any you know lust for power or or prestige or control the way Norrell seems to be and even that just seemed to kind of happen overnight i mean when we first meet Norrell in the first episode i mean he seems like a weird dude no question but he does. And in fact, in this episode, he says, you know, sometimes I wish I had just stayed in my library right. and, you know, performed spells for myself. And I kind of yeah. believed him at that oh, point. Yeah, yeah I, I totally believe him. But also, he's brought so much of this upon himself as well. So, like you said, I like the word disingenuous to to wish for something like that when, you know, this is... You know, this is the bed you've made. You know, right. like this is your creation. There's nothing here that happened by happenstance. This is this is what you wanted to happen. This is what you made happen. So stop complaining. Right. Yeah, we find out that the war is going badly. Things are dire in England. But the only thing that's successful at this point is the business of magic. And I, I, I wonder what that actually means. You know, um, I can't imagine Norrell would be happy that there are a bunch of hedge witches running around performing spells. We know that he wouldn't be. So I wonder what that actually means. The business of magic is thriving. So Yeah. Well, it's just as popular right now. And, you know, they're probably selling all kinds of, like, magic kits and shops and stuff like that. Yeah, right. And I, and I guess certainly we know there are a lot of books about magic because that's you know, one of the things Segundus has has uh, spent his time doing. Uh, we, we already talked about the scene where Jonathan's called in the middle of the night because that ship's run aground, and you know he performs the uh, the horse sand spell or whatever it is he he calls it. But everybody's applauding him. Norrell, who's now appeared, clearly doesn't look pleased about it. And Sir Walter suggests sending Strange to the peninsula something both acknowledge Norrell won't be pleased. In fact, he's adamant that strange shouldn't go. <laughs> I couldn't help it. Right. Every time I look at it. In the <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, well there, but, there was also the, the, the previous scene on the beach where, where Norrell does his blocking spell or whatever. And it's so much less dramatic. He just kind of raises his hand here. He's like, okay, it's done. Yeah, but, like, did, but did you get the feeling that maybe he wasn't successful. Yeah, I, mean, I, I told you. Well, especially you, when you look the shot of Jonathan, he has like a very dubious look at his face. Like, mm, yeah, I don't think so. You know, nah, it's invisible. But, That's why you can't see it. Right. Right. Yeah. But then isn't that why the ship got like hung up on the sandbar? Right. It's because of Norrell's spell, I believe. Right. And, and then I, I love how the end comes about because we learn that the duke of roxburgh has died he's got this fantastic library of <laughs> magic books suddenly norrell realizes well you know if jonathan goes 
to the peninsula, then he's not going to be here to bid against me on the books. And I'm thinking like, all right, solid plan. That's a win for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then Arabella turns up at the auction. But so does the stranger. And yeah. can everybody see him or just Norrell? I wasn't sure well, about that. Well, Arabella can see him too uh, because he offers her – I can't remember what he, he – she she interacts with him in, in some way so that I, I got the feeling that he was, you know, in a manner that everyone could, could see him. Okay. And, and I guess that's still something that, that we'll, I guess, get a better grasp on as it well, goes he's, on. Well, he's got a – he's definitely – got a thing for arabella right it would seem so that's that's not good who wouldn't have a thing for arabella and sure and, you know I keep, I keep looking at her and again i keep going to imdb i'm like where do i know her from but then uh, there was some show she's in but i i and i'd heard of the show but it, it escapes me but i hadn't seen that show so uh anything else you want to bring up that we haven't talked about well, I, so even though we see this rift, um, and Norrell is, as you said, he's adamant about not letting Jonathan take his books, but Jonathan kind of charms him into it, right? Uh, he still knows how to manipulate him, uh, and like basically saying, you know, well, you know, you're still, you know, my master, and I want to come back and learn from you. And he says the right things to to get Norrell to cough up the books. And I wonder if that's part of his upbringing, that he, he was certainly meant to not have a profession. He was just supposed to, I guess, be independently wealthy. And I guess when you're like that, perhaps you learn those kinds of skills along the way. Uh, also, that uh, Mr. Norrell has drawn up a course of study for the next 10 years for Jonathan. <laughs> uh, and, and he even thinks that's not going to be enough time. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously that just shows, like, the difference between the two of them because Jonathan, everything is natural, and he doesn't really need to study things, and Norrell thinks you can only get good at magic by, you know, studying on books for years and years and years. Well, why don't we go ahead and hear what Fred has to say, and hopefully he's liking episode two a little more than he liked episode one. So here's Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, episode 2. Or, actually, chapter 2. Just shortly want to come back to last week's podcast. Thank you very much for analyzing the poll and telling what you perhaps would do and what you surely won't do there was only one thing and that was about dirk gently uh, i'm no. not really feeling no dirk gently no no now i think i i i, I don't i don't want to watch it. i like the first se- i mean i said it before the first season i loved the second season i hated i don't want to go back there Um, That was not completely right, because Wayne was talking about the US version, whereas on the list by Michael Jacobs was the BBC version, of which he did the pilot, and there are only three episodes more available. 
and I thought you liked that pilot a lot. Completely different topic. I'm very excited because I just booked two VIP tickets to a show in an Amsterdam theater where they will play Wrath of Khan, so a Star Trek movie, and with a show by the 88-year-old William Shatner. So I'm going to meet Captain Kirk. And I'm going to do that together with my son. He's 16. Okay, next topic for Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I looked up some historical data. Well, it plays, of course, in the Napoleonic Wars, which ends with the Battle of Waterloo. And they start in 1803 and end in 1815. So Wayne was right there. But he was also talking about the Victorian era. And that takes place much later, from 1837 to 1901. Wayne was also talking about the Industrial Revolution, because Jonathan's father had a, a company or a factory or something like that. And I was thinking that was also later, but Wayne was right. That started in Britain between, let's say, 1760-1780 and ended around 1830-1840. Why is this song of the police in the background? This is because the ferry, and according to IMDb, the gentleman, reminded me very much of Sting, the lead singer of the police. I posted some comparison pictures on the Facebook page. Another topic I want to address is the fact that Mr. Norrell, when he is studying together with Jonathan, at a certain point rings this bell. And this bell is actually, I put some pictures in uh, into your notes, Dave and Wayne. This bell is actually a Buddhistic bell. I bought one myself when I was traveling as a young guy through Nepal and India in 1990. This is actually a symbol of Buddhism. And I find it very strange to see such a bell. Of course, it's a, it's a detail. But such a bell in 1810. On the other hand, the British Empire did stretch towards India and the whole Asian area. And actually, to this bell also a thunderbolt belongs. So the bell and the varja, they call them. You see, sometimes you see Buddhistic figures with in one hand the bell and in the other hand the thunderbolt. I like this episode much better than the first one. First off, there were more magic effects in it. The sand horses, of course, I talked about last time already because it was in a trailer. And of course, the ships made of rain, very nice effects, both of them. Getting more the hang of the story, although I have the idea my brain is not completely functioning because sometimes I have the impression I'm really missing a lot. I also noticed that a little bit when you analyzed the first episode. Thank you for that. But I was thinking, how can you talk an hour about this first episode? But you did. But it's surely getting more interesting. One peculiar thing I found when this auction was about the books of this deceased Duke. 
This fairy, a.k.a. the gentleman, was suddenly sitting next to Belle Strange and watching Mr. Norrell. Nobody summoned him. How did he get there? On the other hand, he also appears spontaneously when he talks to Stephen Black, the black servant of Sir Walter Poole. So he doesn't have to be summoned to appear somewhere. And what I don't understand, it's also a question, what is the role of this Stephen Black? Quite some screen time here, an interaction with this fairy, but to what it leads is, is not clear to me yet. Another thing is that I think that Mr. Norrell and Jonathan Strange are becoming quite the adversaries or opponents of each other. We see that in this episode that, for instance, Jonathan is evoking these sand horses and Mr. Norrell is coming down this sand dune and is not looking very happy. And later they are in a coach together with Annabelle and Sir Walter and Mr. Norrell is saying something like, nothing is more likely to evoke the Raven King than mischievous, reckless magic. So he is condemning actually what Jonathan did there on the beach. And then later, Jonathan is taking 40 books of him. None of it is worth the loss of 40 books, Mr. Norrell is saying to Chaldermas. And another point here is that Annabelle Strange tries to buy these books of the Duke and they are bidding against each other there. Coming back to the last episode, you were wondering if the spell that Jonathan did, actually his first working spell with the mirror, is the person that you see there, Mr. Norrell. But it is. I posted some, uh, some comparison pictures on the Facebook page and in your notes. When Annabelle is reading this spell, she reads, One spell to discover what mine enemy is doing presently. And then they look in a mirror. And then later, Annabelle says, What on earth is he? And why is he your enemy? Question mark. They were thinking he was a banker. Well, if you compare the picture there in the mirror to some pictures of the second episode, so some profile pictures of Mr. Norrell with the glasses on, it actually proves that if the spell is right, that Mr. Norrell is Jonathan's enemy. So I wonder where that all will go. Okay, that was all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, well, as usual, he, he certainly sends us a ton of great images, information, but the one I have to speak to, and Fred, I thought the exact same thing the first time I saw uh, the gentleman, is that he looks like Sting circa mid-80s, and, mm-hmm. and Fred uh, sent us plenty of images of Sting, And the police, which, you know, you and I were talking before we recorded, it's a band that at the time, I just, I just missed them. Uh, I don't know why or whatever, but, you know, and and as a bass player myself, I I really love Sting's minimalistic approach to the bass uh, as the singer, their, their music is not easy to perform. So I, I, I really love, I love Sting. Also love uh, Stuart Copeland and Annie Summers as well, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Fred, Fred gives us plenty of images. No, the police are amazing, man, and and that's 
Yeah, when I was uh, a young teen was when Synchronicity 2 came out. I just remember that album just completely blew me away. And I, well, and I got the cassette tape, and I probably played that thing until it tore. And I know you said you weren't a big fan of Sting's uh, solo work, but I really liked his first, the Dream of the Blue Turtles, his first solo album, I just thought was a great, great, great album. I have that one on vinyl, actually. So, yeah, you know, but I, I, obviously you can't help but make the comparisons between the how the gentleman looks and, and Sting. I mean, like, you know, the you know platinum blonde hair, like kind of poofed up like that, high cheekbones and everything. Like, yeah, they're totally going for that, right? Right. And I also thought of Sting in the Dune film as well. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Not now, bad for an English teacher. Yeah, now, Fred has a couple of questions. I, I think we kind of addressed these, but I don't think we really have an answer because he, he asks about the fairy suddenly appearing at the auction without being summoned. What's that all about? Does the fairy want to get in between Arabella and Norrell? Does he know that Arabella is going to show up there? As you say, does he have a a thing for Arabella? Is that what that's all about? I don't know. I definitely think he he you know mentioned how taken he was with her, and then here he just shows up next to her. So yeah, yeah. So he's basically pulling a Magnus. He's stalking her, right? And. and Yes. The fact that she's at this auction. Okay. And then Fred also mentions the whole story with Stephen. And there's clearly a bargain that's been made. And we get the prophecy about him becoming a king. We see the image in the mirror of him wearing a crown. But but again, I guess, you know, you and I have read too much Shakespeare and, you know, have read too many prophecies that, okay, fine, he's going to become a king, but there's going to be a catch. We know that. Yeah. yeah. And you, you make a deal with a fairy. And again, it generally does not turn out well. So you want to uh, be the king, just go sit in your Barco lounger, get some popcorn, and just wait to become king. Don't try to make it happen yourself. Right. Now, the, now the other thing, and Fred mentions this a little bit, and, and uh, we probably should have talked about it more the images of mirrors pops up a lot so whether it's the spell that jonathan performs to you know show off for norrell where he sends that document to the mirror where emma shatters that one mirror when she hears the bells i'm not sure why shattering a mirror is going to help you cope with these bells that are bothering you like i said we steven sees the reflection of himself wearing the crown in the mirror so there's something about mirrors and and again, that that's certainly a trope fantasy literature has used, you know, time and again. I, I'm trying to think somehow sure. it's even in the magicians. I can't remember specifically, but and 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 in fact, in oh, didn't the, uh, uh, didn't the, the guy come out of a mirror in the the first episode? The bad guy in, in the magicians, not. yeah, the beast. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right, and and then even in the uh, uh, the librarians, we see the mirror. Yes, that sure, that's used. Sure. So, so I don't really know exactly how all these things are connected, but but clearly they are to you know to a certain extent. Anyway, I just, I just also want to say, all right, that I I know that this isn't the Victorian age. I know the 
Victorian age was later. I was just trying to come up with the right word for the right name. I knew it's the Georgian age that this is taking place, and I was with Georges one through three, so it covered pretty long period of uh, English history that we call that. Basically, the uh, pretty much the 18th century up until the early 19th. Okay, yeah, because I guess Victoria doesn't take the uh, the crown until well, probably about 1830, 1840, something like that. Like the 30s, uh, yeah, the 1830s, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I forgot to ask you last week what grade you were giving it. I, I don't know if you noticed. I just put A- minus for us both on the website. Uh, that sounds good. Okay. And I'm, fe- and I'm feeling that for this one as well. Uh, it's not quite a full-on A, but it was a pretty solid episode. Yeah, yeah. A-, a minus, B plus in there. If you give it A minus, I'll go with you on that. All right. Uh, anything else? Nope. All right, well, we'll leave it there, and that will do it for this week's episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Mr. Norrell and Jonathan Strange. I got it backwards last week, although last week I think I said Dr. Strange. Uh, what do you think about <laughs> Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, Dark, anything else going on in genre TV? Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Uh, emails go to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com and you can send voicemails via the speak pipe tab on the website we'll be back next week to talk about season one episode three of jonathan strange and mr norrell but until then so i don't know dave if you knew that i actually had kind of a little brief career as a magician going um, I, I did some you know some gigs and birthday parties and stuff but in the words of my manager the only thing he was able to make disappear was clarity